All right, so we're in Titus chapter 2, kind of continuing a series, uh, series we started through this last week. And last week, just a reminder, uh, we saw in chapter 1 how Paul, when he wrote this to Titus, he had given him a job to go and ordain elders in every city. He wanted him to set in order things that were wanting. In these churches, in this area, there was, you know, good people, but they had some problems and there were some things that they needed to fix. And one of the things were areas where they were lacking based on what Paul is telling Titus here, was they were lacking in leadership. They didn't have good leadership in that area. Okay, And again, like we talked about last week, there's a lot of places, there's a lot of churches. You know, They have issues, but as long as they're heading in the right direction, you know what, we're for them. But we want to help them in those areas where they're struggling. And if they're struggling in leadership, let's be a blessing. Let's try to help. And, there's, and so this week, we want to look at another area where I believe they were struggling based on the context and based on what Paul is choosing to write to Titus specifically. I think it's safe to assume that this church that's lacking in leadership, this church that's wanting in certain areas, another area where they're wanting is in good behavior. Okay? Did you know you can be saved and not behave very well? You can be, you can be saved, and this goes along very well with what we talked about this morning, you can be saved and just be a bad example. You can be a vessel that's not a vessel unto honor. And if we are like that as Christians, you know, if there's a church out there and they're struggling with bad behavior, they're just not good testimonies, you know what we need to try to do? We need to try to help them have some good behavior. We need to try, we need to preach some of these things that he talks about in here so they will be a better testimony. And so notice what it says in verse 1. And because, man, this is, this is great here. He says, but speak thou things which become sound doctrine. Okay, I, I love this here because this is good because there is a movement out there that's trying to stop preachers from preaching on behavior. Stop getting up and talking about your preferences and your standards and things like that. You know, just preach the gospel is what they always want to say. But Paul here is telling Titus in the, in an area where there's things that are wanting, things that are lacking, he's telling him, I want you to speak things that become sound doctrine. And today when a pastor gets up and he rips face, he's accused of adding to the gospel. He's accused of teaching legalism or just preaching preferences and opinions. If a pastor sees behavior in the church that's maybe acting too much like the world or things just getting out of line, it's like if, if they can't find a verse that says, thou shalt not, then, you know, the trendies act like you shouldn't even preach it. But no, we're supposed to judge things. We're supposed to judge what's going on in our world. And we're supposed to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, if there's a verse, if we have to have a verse for every single thing, then why would he tell us to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You know, there's things we got to judge, things we've got to look at, and we've got we've to figure these things out. And, you know, he's, and so... It's very clear we should be preaching this kind of stuff, but people don't like it today. These people, they also, too, they like to put themselves out there as the theologians. You know, they try to act like they're about the doctrine, but not behavior. But listen, the doctrine is important. And you know what? We want to be a church that's identified by our good doctrine. But if we're going to be a church with the good doctrine, we should have behavior in our church we should be preaching about things that become sound doctrine. Now, what does that mean, you know, to become what to sound doctrine? Things that turn into sound doctrine? No, that what that means, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Here's a well-known passage. 
that I think will give us understanding. We don't use that word a whole lot today in this way in our culture, but I, I think most people would understand what that means. But it says in 1 Timothy 2, 9, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Sounds like Paul's being legalistic with the women right here. But which be, but notice, don't dress in this way with all these things he mentions, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. You know, there's a way that is becoming for a woman to dress who's godly and has good works, which tells me there's a way that is unbecoming for a woman to dress. You know, one that's wearing the gold pearls costly array. And then it goes on to say, let a woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So Paul is saying very clearly here that a woman ought to dress, a woman ought to dress in a way that becomes a woman professing godliness. It ought, if a, a woman who professes to be godly ought to look different than a woman who is ungodly. And so, and notice it says professing godliness. If you are promoting a teaching, if you are promoting Christianity, if you are promoting godliness, there's a way that you should look and there's a way that you shouldn't look according to the Apostle Paul right here. And so the Apostle Paul here, when he says in Titus 2, but speak thou things which become sound doctrine, he's talking about things that are suitable for sound doctrine. There's some things that, hey, if we're going to be the church that's got the good doctrine, then we ought to be the church that has some behavior that is becoming the sound doctrine. Because if we're the church that's preaching the truth, we shouldn't also be the church that's just behaving terrible. We shouldn't be the church that's always gossiping. You know, oh, but we're right on salvation. Yeah, but you're dirty gossips. You're backstabbers. You're mean to people. You know, you're, you know we, as the church that has good doctrine, we should also be the church that is friendly. We shouldn't have the, we shouldn't have the reputation in town that we're unfriendly, that we're, you know, we're rude to visitors. That shouldn't, I don't want that to be a reputation. The church that it has sound doctrine ought to have some good behavior. Hey, you know that church in town that has that good doctrine? The last time I visited that church, everybody was in a fight in that church. You know, hey, and we could say, well, you know, we're still better than the Calvinist church down the street. And you know what? We do have the sound doctrine and they don't. But you know what? At least they have some behavior that is becoming. You know, at least if you go to that church, and I don't even know if it's there. I haven't been to any Calvinist church around here. But you know what? If you go to the Calvinist church and they're the friendly church, they have good behavior. They don't gossip there. You know, they're welcoming. They have all these, they have all this good behavior there. And then we're the church. We've got all the good doctrine, but we can't get along with anybody. You know what? We're a bad testimony. We make the word of God look bad. So understand, like we talked about this morning, that there is a way a saved person should act and we should be preaching about behavior. And again, none of this has anything to do with salvation. Paul here in in Titus chapter 2 is not telling people how to get saved. Paul is not telling people how to keep their salvation. Paul is telling Titus, he says, I want you to speak things that become sound doctrine. And then you know what he does? He goes and he talks about behavior. He's talking about behavior through most of this chapter. And so I think if Paul talked about it and he told us to do it, we can do it. We can do it too. So look at verse 2. So now he starts getting really specific. And he says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, 
impatient. You know what he did? He was teaching that, he said you, there needs to be teaching that older men are expected to behave in a certain way. Did you know that everybody has certain expectations for certain people? You know, there, there's a behavior that we expect from little kids that we don't expect from an adult. Okay? Now, what are we doing? Say, so, you know, you know, are, are we creating sins here? But it's like, you know, there's, there's, you know, obviously, you know, nobody should run around in church. But if a little kid, like, gets up and takes off running during church, it's a lot different than if an adult does it. Unless it's a camp meeting, right? You know, if it's a camp meeting, that's fine. And I, I remember when I was a kid, we had this crazy family that was coming to our church. Some, you know, crazy people come through church at some time. I don't know if you all realize that. But there, these kids, they would just get up and take off running from their dad. And he would chase them around the auditorium during service. It was weird. And finally, my dad got sick of it one time. And he, like, stopped preaching. And he looked at that kid and he said, you better go sit with your dad right now. He's like, your dad not, might not be able to catch you, but I can. <laughs> kid went and sat, he went and sat down after that. They quit doing it after that. They were weird. They ended up moving away to another state. They like were running from the authorities because of taxes or something like that. And we weren't real sad to see him go. They, they, they were weird. And it, but again, you know, sin's a sin, no matter who does it. But yet, we understand when it's some people versus others. For example, too, we expect, all right, we expect a young single guy, if he is around a young single lady, to maybe flirt a little bit, right? You know, but we don't expect it from an old married dude. Okay? okay? I mean, we all, we're all creeped out then. There's a, there, there's a problem, right? You don't expect that from, you know, even if the old guy's single. It's like, like hey, you know... Your days of flirting should be over, at least with girls that age. Okay? That, that is not becoming to an old man, but we expect it from the young guy, right? I mean, if a pretty young single girl comes in, I mean, I expect the guys to pursue her, the, young, the, uh, the single guys. You know, that's, that's super normal. Okay? That's, that's super normal, but it, it's not for other people. And, and we've got, you know, and we have a problem with that. You know, you, you kind of... You know, every, all ladies should dress modest, but, you know, you kind of expect, you know, younger ladies to kind of push it sometimes, but you don't from the older ladies. It's just like, come on, really? You know, at, at this point in your life, you know, you're, you're going to try to dress that way? No, that, that is not becoming, okay? And we, we all have these things. I think we all understand. And so we expect, you know, a certain level of maturity based on someone's age or even the position that they have in life. You expect certain behavior from a pastor, you know, versus somebody else who's maybe newly saved or, you know, you know, even just a regular person in the church, we just have that higher expectation. And it's a, it's a greater, uh, or it does more harm, you know, when somebody in a certain position does the same sin that maybe somebody else in the church does. We have the, everybody has these expectations, you know, um, and as parents, you have natural expectations that you put on your children depending on their age. You, you expect more from the older ones than you do the younger ones. That's, that's normal. You know, I have certain expectations for my kids because they're my kids. Okay? I know how they've been raised. They, you know, there's things that they've been taught from the beginning that, you know, other people, maybe they haven't taught their kids. You know, they're, they're new to Christianity and things or even 
people who've been saved just as long as I have, but it's just, we have certain rules in our house, don't we? There's certain expectations. There's priorities that I have that maybe other families, you know, that's just not as big a priority for them. But I expect that from my kids. You know, I expect certain things. And we need to understand that as Christians, there's expectations for how we behave. And sometimes lost people have higher expectations than Christians do. It's like Christians, they do, they get that demented grace idea and they think we can just go and do whatever the world does and everything's fine. Well, you know what? The world doesn't even expect that from us. There is a behavior that is becoming to those who are saved and there's also behavior that is unbecoming to those that are saved. There's some things that we just shouldn't be doing. And so he, Paul's getting real specific and he's going to all these different groups and saying, you need to teach these people to be this way. You need to teach those older men, you know, that they need to be sober. They need to be grave, temperate, sound in faith. You know, it's one thing we expect a young person who just gets saved, maybe a young guy, you know, those late teens or even early 20s, we expect them to might struggle, struggle a little bit when it comes to faith and just trusting God and things. But you know what? The guy who's been saved for decades, who's older, we expect a little more from them, don't we? It's just expect, everybody has expectations and that's fine, and that's appropriate. And so we ought to teach people, as a church, we ought to be encouraging people to live up to your the expectations that people have. People expect people from Liberty Baptist Church to behave in a certain way. They expect us to have a good testimony. These are expectations, and we ought to live up to those things, because if we don't, we make God look bad. So we see he mentions the older men. He says in verse 3, he goes to the aged women. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. You know, they, it's not becoming for an a old Christian lady to be a gossip. That's not becoming. Now, it's pretty normal, isn't it? You know, a lot of times, you know, what do we do a lot of times whenever, you know, you see your wife and uh, maybe you know, she's with her friends or sisters and they're like all gossiping. You know, what do we call them? We act like a bunch of old ladies. Gossipy old ladies. Okay? Old ladies are often known for that. Okay? That's, but a Christian, one shouldn't be that way. She ought to be someone who is godly, one who prays, is, prays for people, one who's caring for others. That, I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation for an older lady. We expect, we expect that. And... We need to teach that. We need to teach elderly ladies who are professing to be godly not to be a gossip. Don't be going around spreading things in this church. Don't be calling everybody up and telling about everybody's problems in the church. That's wicked. We also expect them to have some wisdom they can pass on to others. It says in verse 4 that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. What's that saying there? Like we talked about this morning, when David sinned, he gave great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. Ladies, if you're out there being a gossip and a busybody, and you're just in other men's matters and a tattler, you make the word of God look bad because people are supposed to know you're a Christian. And we don't want that being our reputation here at this church. And so older ladies, they are supposed to be teaching the younger ladies these things. You know why? Because it's natural for ladies to be gossip. I mean, you know, teenage girls, that's another thing. We'll accuse them of being either old ladies or teenage girls. Okay, why isn't it usually the, 
you know, in the middle age. Because usually women who are married and have kids are too busy. Now, don't get me wrong. They can still do it, okay? I, I've known some, but, you know, they're typically the ones neglecting their kids but at this, and their husbands. But at the same time, we often associate gossip with teenage girls and old ladies and not so much in between. And the thing, but the truth is, old ladies should be above that. Okay? They ought to be above that. They should have conquered that. And they need to teach the younger women not to do that. You know why? Because they're going to do it. You know, they're, that's, it's just kind of a, a natural thing. And they need to teach them not to do those things. And so we expect, we expect that from older ladies to be able to help the younger ladies. You know, it, you younger ladies in the church, you know, it should be easy for you, you know, if you go to an older lady in the church to ask advice when it comes to raising kids or whatever, you know, you expect them to have some answers because they've done it before. You know, I mean, my wife, she's not an older lady yet, but, you know, she's been married for almost 20 years. She's about to have her eighth kid. So the truth is, some, and, you know, she's got, her oldest is 18. So the truth is, you know, you should be able to get some kind of advice from her on, you know, how to get your kid to sleep, you know, how to treat diaper rash, you know, I mean, how to deal with stuff with pregnancy. You know, my, my wife, she knows tons of stuff about pregnancy, not only just from experience, but she like reads books on it and stuff. I think health stuff is boring. Okay. I, I, I really do. And you say, well, I can tell, you know, because the way he eats, but it's like, Listen, if the only reason I eat as healthy as I do is because my wife does a lot of the cooking and, you know, and she can make healthy stuff taste good, which is a blessing. But if I was on my own, uh, I don't know. You know, it's like, don't you realize what you're eating when you go to fast food restaurants? No, I never read those nutrition facts. I don't, I don't pay attention to that stuff. Thankfully, my wife helps me out with that. But I think that stuff's boring. All right. I love Brother Paul Wittenberger's live streams that he does. And I watch a lot of those. But when he does ones on health, I'm just going to say it right now. I don't watch them. <laughs> He loves that stuff, and thank God for people that care about that stuff, but I just don't care, all right? I'm just, I'm not interested. That's just me, all right? I'm sorry, but, you know, uh, thankfully, though, if one of these days it catches up to me or it starts catching up to me, you know, there's people I can go talk to, you know, and I, and I can get some advice, and, you know, my wife, she knows a lot about that stuff, and, you know, you, you expect that. It would be weird if you went to my wife when she's about to have her eighth kid and you're about to have your first and what am I in for when it comes to having a baby? I don't know. Why would she not know? How many times have you done this? You know, it's because they always drug her up or something, which she never takes the drugs, you know, when she has a baby. But, you know, it's just, it's natural you'd expect that. Hey, you know, how do I know when to feed my kid? How do I know when to change diaper? You expect them to know that stuff, right? Because they've had experience in that area. And I'm telling you, we need older ladies teaching the younger ladies today. Because our generation, this culture, they don't know what to do. They they really don't. And that's why, you know, I've encouraged my wife in the gently led sister thing is because older ladies are supposed to be teaching the younger ladies. And a lot of young ladies, they just, they don't know. Okay. Our, our Our American culture today, when it comes to the family, it is very broken. Okay. It is lacking in so many areas. And, you know, when I preach, I try to cover a lot of different subjects and things. But when it comes to, you know, what ladies do, that's not something that's on my mind that much. And I'm probably not going to preach everything that a lady needs to hear. And even if I do, you know, I'm not going to be able to help very much in the emotional area of things. I mean, I can lay out the facts, 
But, you know, you ladies need help in the emotional area, right? You know, because I'm just going to get up and scream at you and say what you need to do. But, you know, I'm not going to take your feelings into account. Or, you know, the ladies, they get all that, all right? You know, they understand that. You know, guys, we don't understand postpartum depression and things like that. You know, we don't, we don't get that. We just wonder, why are you crazy right now? You know, we don't, we don't understand these things that women go through. You know, we just get frustrated and confused and, you know, now what? You know, and so, you know, lady, you know, the old ladies are supposed to be able to help with that kind of stuff. All right. And, you know, older ladies, help those younger ladies. All right. And every man in here is thinking, please help my wife. You know, that's what all thinking, especially certain times of the month. You know, that goes through their mind. And you say, I can't believe you said that. Exactly. I'm a man. I don't understand these things. I don't get your feelings on that stuff. So, you know, you ladies need to talk to each other and help each other out. And I'm not, I'm not going to be any help. You know, because my advice is just going to be, you know, to the men, you know, lock her in the attic, you know, or just, you know, or something like that. That's what I'm going to say. But I've never locked my wife in the attic. We don't have one. But anyway, <laughs> getting myself in all kinds of trouble. And so then, but so, the, the, so we, t- we expect the older ladies to be able to help with these things. And so notice, though, Paul specifically mentions the things that they're supposed to teach the younger ladies. You know, they're supposed to teach them that when a young lady professes to be Christian she, and she doesn't do these things, she makes the word of God look bad. You will end up getting the word of God, the word of God or the name of God. It will be blasphemed because you're not doing these things, because you're not being chaste. Okay? We need to teach and promote purity with young ladies. Okay? And listen, and this is where men need to help too. Young ladies, they don't understand how guys think. They don't, they don't understand that kind of thing. And you know what? Somebody has got to be telling these young ladies, stop dressing the way some of them are dressing. You know, cover your bodies. Dress in a modest way. This, these things, you're, you're not promoting anything good. You're not, the, the advertising you're doing is not good. It is not going to attract good guys if you're dressing in that way. You know what you're gonna, you're gonna attract? You're gonna attract the creepers. That's who you're gonna attract. And let me tell you something. All right, and it, I'm trying to think of how to say this right because, but one thing I've noticed is that the bad guys are usually the most aggressive when it comes to pursuing single ladies. A lot of times the decent guys, they kind of hold back and they wait a little bit. And I say that to let you young ladies know, you know, watch out for the real, you know, the real aggressive ones. He said, you know, the creepers usually come first from what I've seen. But at the same time, you know, I say that to tell you, you know, you guys that are better, don't let the creeper get to her first, all right? You know, you need to, sometimes you got to make an effort, you know? You got, there's the, and, uh, you know, I, I want to see if she goes for the creeper. Listen, girls are dumb, all right? You know, a lot of times they don't have fathers helping them out in these areas. And so, you know, you need to save the day and win her heart before the creeper does, all right? So uh, I, I say that you younger guys, or for you, you, you decent guys, you know, don't be too slow making the move. But at the same time, you know, young ladies, you know, don't always go for the first guy that asks. Okay? Wait for the decent guy. But uh, that's probably another subject for another day. But that's just what I've seen in my experience. It's all, the creepers are always the first one to ask the, the new girl in church out. You know, don't, don't let the, and 
but I, I, I hate to even say that because now all the, nobody's going to want to ask that girl when she comes along because they don't want to be identified as the creeper. But I, you know, I, I think you get what I'm saying. I, I, I hope you do anyway. I probably just confused everybody like crazy. But anyway, so all these things, you know, we could preach whole messages on these things. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But, you know, Paul said, Paul said to teach these things. But what's so funny about this, you know, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. You know, all these things will get you accused of being legalistic if you preach a message on it. If I just preach a message about ladies being keepers at home, people lose their minds today because that's not very feminist. And no, it's not. But it's it's biblical. It's right, obedient to their own husbands. Okay, and this is for the single punks that think that they can tell every woman what to do. Obedient to their own husbands. Okay, all right. Single guys who do not have what you have no authority over any woman. Okay, now I get it. The single girl running her mouth on social media has no authority over you either. But And you can run your mouth and try to rebuke her and stop her all you want. She doesn't have to listen to you. Okay? And you just, you're going to have to get over it. There's preachers I know out there that can't handle the fact that, you know, I've seen preachers, I think it was John Howe one time, like, rebuke my wife for, like, usurping his authority. She's not his wife, and he's not her pastor. He's just out there running his mouth on social media if she gets schooled by, you know, or if he gets schooled by her, that's just his tough luck. But that's always the go-to. Any 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 man my wife has ever schooled on Twitter, she used to do that a lot. She but didn't she got shadow banned on Twitter and now it's not on there much. But th- that was always their go-to. Not a serpent authority over the man. She only has to be obedient to her husband, her own husband, not every husband. And a lot of people can't figure that out. And listen, when you got to go around beating your chest, demanding people submit and obey, it's because you stink, you're a crummy leader. People who are good leaders, they don't have to do that. The people that they are actually in authority over follow them, and they don't have to go around pounding their chest and bringing up these verses and taking them out of context. So just, uh, you know, that's something people need to understand. But all of these things, people lose their mind when you talk about them, but these are things that become sound doctrine. And we should be a church that has good doctrine, but a church that has good doctrine ought to have young ladies in the church that are chaste, discreet, keepers at home, obedient to their husband. That's the kind of people that we ought to have in this church. Because you can have a church that has the perfect doctrinal statement. You can have a church where the pastor gets up and he preaches all the right doctrine. He has all the right positions. But if the behavior is horrible in that church, you know, he's not going to accomplish anything with it. We ought to have behavior that becomes that. And Paul's laying out these things. These are all good. These are all good things. So look at verse six. Now he gets to the young men. Young men likewise exhort to be sober minded. What's something we often expect from young guys? You know, we expect sometimes young guys to get a little reckless, to drive crazy. You know, when I, when I was younger, I was never real crazy with stuff, but I remember when I was, I was 20 or 21. I went skiing for the first time. I'd never been skiing in my life. And I was going down blue hills, all right? You have the green for the beginners, and then you have the blue for the intermediate, and then the black diamonds. I wasn't dumb enough to go down black diamond. But at 21, I was going down blue hills. But I was falling down big time and having wipeouts like you wouldn't believe, okay? And 
I'm, and I, but I was still being pretty careful then because I was like, you know what? I do have a wife. She was, she was pregnant with Tommy at the time, and I have a job. I need to be able to make it to work. But I was still being pretty crazy and reckless. Well, fast forward about seven or eight years. I hadn't been skiing yet until then. Seven or eight years later, now I've got three or four kids at the time. I go to that same place, and I was like panicking going down the green hills. And, and I was just like, when I was 21, I was going down these blue hills, and I was like having falls that would have been very impressive on video. And it wasn't bothering me a bit. Now I'm like freaking out. Why is this? You know why? Because as I got older, I got a little more responsible. I was a little more sober. And I'm thinking, I really shouldn't do reckless things that will get me laid up for a long time. I've got a wife and four kids and a job. I've got all these things I got to do. And so I was a lot more careful. And now, you know, when I'm pushing 40, you know, I'm really careful with stuff. I don't do reckless things. I mean, you can come to me now at this age and say, I dare you to do something crazy. And I'll be like, no. And you can triple dog dare me. And I'll still say, no. And you can laugh at me. And it won't bother me because that now when I was younger, that might have been a little different. But, you know, we have to teach young men, hey, you know, don't don't take the dare. You know, don't do these reckless things. Don't do dumb stuff. Why? Because, it, you know, younger guys typically are just more reckless. We kind of expect that. So we've got to teach them. Otherwise, hey, you guys need to be sober minded. I know that sounds like it would be a lot of fun, you know, jumping off that huge cliff, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not against doing adventurous things, but, you know, take some precautions. You know, don't be reckless. You know, it, it, it's, but it is, it's typically young guys do that stuff. That's why car insurance costs so much for 16 and 17-year-olds. Why do they pay so much more? Because they're typically, you know, they're not experienced, and they typically do dumb stuff as a demographic. And so they do the math on all these things, and they're like, if we're going to make money as an insurance company – We've got to charge this much for people in that age because that's just the way it is. And then hopefully, as time goes on, they will learn to be sober-minded. Hopefully, we'll teach them that. And they're not going to be the idiots that are out there drinking and driving. They're not going to be idiots out there drag racing. You know? And it's, you know, that kind of thing is typically more tempting for a young person than an older person. I don't know, maybe if I had a hot rod car, I might get tempted, but I've never had a hot rod car I think probably some of the older guys would probably get tempted with some of that stuff. You know, even even older, you probably get tempted. But hopefully you think about, you know, hey, I can't afford to get a ticket right now. You know, I, I've got a wife and kids depending on me to provide for them. And so you're probably less likely to do that. So, but we got to teach these things. It says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Oh, man, see, I could, I should just, I, I almost want to preach a whole sermon on some of these things. I, well, I wish, you know, in this IFB world, we could really promote this with young guys, all right? One, showing a pattern of good works. I'm sick of punks that want to come along and, who learn a fact from a YouTube clip and then want to go around beating their chest about how hardcore they are. And, you know, it's amazing how many people are down on people who just don't believe the reprobate doctrine. Okay, but here's the thing. You know, I believe the reprobate doctrine, but how is belief in the reprobate doctrine going to affect my behavior as a Christian? It, it really doesn't matter, does it? You know, just somebody, 
acknowledging the fact of the reprobate doctrine is not going to make them a nicer person. But boy, people who learn that reprobate doctrine sure get really good at just bashing everybody else, don't they? And treating more people like garbage. I I think that's pretty bad. How about you show a pattern of good works? How about you do something right for a few years before you go fixing everybody else? I think that would, I don't think that's asking too much. Hey, before you go make a YouTube channel just trashing everybody else, talking about how wicked everybody else is, how about you not be wicked for five years? Is that asking too much? I mean, I think that, I think that's pretty reasonable. Why don't you young guys show yourself a pattern of good works in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity? Okay, well, all my doctrine's perfect. Oh, well, wait a minute. How do we, how do we know that? All right. Are you just accepting all these doctrines right now because it's convenient for you? Because if you, if you have certain doctrines right now, you know, it could maybe help your YouTube channel get more followers. So yeah, you've picked the right doctrines, but is it for the right reason? Are these things that you're preaching, is it insincerity? Are you sure you hate those reprobates that much? I think you're pouring it on kind of thick. I think you're a little over the top because what you're saying is not really sincere. And I get it. There's people out there I don't like, but, I, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't necessarily hate them. I haven't spent enough time thinking about it. Okay. You know, if, if you'd have talked to me before the debate and asked me my position on Kamala Harris, I don't like, you know, if I was real honest with you, I'd have been like, oh, I really don't know much about her. I mean, I don't really care for her. Oh, do you hate her? I mean, she's definitely a reprobate. Well, I'd have probably been lying if I said I hated her because, honestly, I hadn't spent enough time paying attention to her to actually have hatred for her. Now, after I watched the debate, I think I got a little bit, all right? <laughs> Since I've been watching her lately, I, I, I've developed a little bit. But I, you know what? It's only a little bit. You say, well, you just don't hate sin enough. No, I just haven't paid enough attention to her. Okay? And some of these people that are just so quick to just immediately hate Hate with a perfect hatred it's like i don't really think you do now it, it takes work for me to actually start hating somebody like i should and somebody that i haven't really paid attention to i don't really know anything about i don't know i i don't think you're real sincere and you know we need to teach people we need to teach the young men to have sincerity some gravity okay you know are are you balanced in your thinking on these things and in your positions, you know, why is it you're so hardcore in this one area over here, but then you're just a mile away from being right in these other areas over here? Why is it that some people who are so sound on their doctrine are so horrible in their behavior? Part of it, like I said, a lot of times it's lack of training, you know, it's lack of maturity. And, you know, when we have these guys that come along and they come to this church and they are, man, they are just fired up i mean man they they know everything there is to know about the reprobate doctrine they hate homos i mean they just got it all down and but you know at the same time too they're just not a very nice person themselves you know we don't want to like try to take away their zeal when it comes to areas where they're right but you know what we do want to try to help them get balanced a little bit and say you know what hey let's work on some of these things and that's where the older men come in and you know hopefully we can be a help to them because these things, they make sound doctrine look bad. Did you know there's a lot of people out there that make the reprobate doctrine look bad? There's a lot of people that make once saved, always saved look bad. 
Talk about We talked about that today. People that make any good doctrine that's out there, there's somebody out there to make it look bad. And I'm not even talking about even just with crazy doctrines, but I'm talking about with behavior. Their behavior, it makes certain things look bad because they put themselves out there as an advocate for that doctrine or whatever, and then their behavior is just so horrible, and it makes it all look bad. You know, and that's what they, you know, that's what the trendies try to do with anybody that's ever preached on standards. You know, you do have the guys that were perverts that are out there, but that's not a vast majority. But they do. They put him out there like, you know, he was the main advocate for that. He was a leader in these things. No, that, that's not true. But those guys did end up making the doctrine look really bad. You know why? Because their behavior was not becoming the sound doctrine. And their doctrine, their doctrine was right. But their behavior was not becoming to it. And I think it's interesting, too, because you'll have people out there that act like, you know, they had this behavior, therefore they weren't saved. But no, right here, it's telling Titus, hey, you need to teach these people to, you need to, you need to be speaking things that become sound doctrine. Because Christians, saved people, can behave in a way that is not becoming the sound doctrine. And I believe these people are saved here because I don't see Paul anywhere in the book of Titus you know, trying to teach them how to spot the wolves and identify the reprobates and infiltrators and, and the false prophets so much. That's not what he's, what he's uh, doing there here. He's telling them to, you know, here's the, here's the behavior that needs to be right. Let's fix these things. He talked about in the first chapter about people whose mouths would be stopped. But even with those people, he said to rebuke them so they'll be sound in the faith. I think a lot of these people were even saved too. He's dealing with saved people here. So we need to make sure... Yeah, we teach young men to be serious about behavior, you know, and godly teenagers too. They can be some of the most effective soul winners because, listen, folks, look at teenagers out there today. It ain't pretty, you know, and when you have a teenager that's actually godly and has some of these good character traits, not just teenagers that have the right doctrine. I know teenagers out there today, they've got the right doctrine, but they are hor- they're horrible workers, you know, they're they're terrible to people, that's that's not good. That makes the doctrine look bad. So we've got to make sure we teach these things. Some, and sincerity, they mentioned, said it's important because people aren't stupid. If, you know, you're, you, can, you can force your teenage son into having the right standards in his life and certain behavior, but you know what? When he goes out into the world and he gets a job, they're going to see that behavior that he has, and they're going to want to try to come up with an excuse for why he does it. You know, like his parents make him, he's in a religious cult or something like that. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to watch for sincerity. They're always watching for you to trip up, mess up, have some kind of double standard. That's what they're always looking for. You know why? Because they need you to be being phony. Because everybody hates a hypocrite. Everybody's better than a hypocrite. And so they need you to be a hypocrite. And so they, they need you to mess up. And when you have a young person that's behaving in a way, or that young adult who doesn't have to anymore, but yet he's doing it anyway, boy, that's convicting. That's convicting when you have a young man, 18, 19, 20 years old, being sober, being sincere, respectful, all of these things. We expect it from the old dude. The old guy, we expect him to be mature. But when that young guy is that way, Folks, that, that blows people's minds. When I worked at the distribution center in Spring Valley, people are always talking about how I seemed older than I was, and I always took it personal because I thought it was because of my hairline. You know, and you know, I'm like, no, I'm only in my early 20s. 
And then finally one day a guy told me, he's like, no, it's not because of your hairline. is you just seem older because you are not like the other guys your age. You know, you're married, you have kids, where most guys that are in their early 20s are still partying and being maniacs. And it, and it, it was the behavior made me see different. You know, if there was a conversation going, I'm usually talking with the older guys, you know, we're, you know that have, I, I was more like them. They have families, wives, and kids. Things like that. I wasn't, you know, in the party stuff. And so that, it made a difference. And young people, you have a great opportunity right now. Now, at the age I'm at, it's not impressive, you know, to be married, have kids, and, and some level of maturity. People expect it by the time you're in your late 30s, almost 40. That You know, 30 is the new new 21. It really is. In, in our culture today, the millennials just don't know how to mature. But either way... If I go out and I be mature, I don't really impress anybody. You teenagers and you, those of you in your early 20s, you do, that makes a difference. And you need to do that. We need you all representing. We need you all having behavior that becomes sound doctrine. So quickly, we need to go through the rest of these. Uh, he says in verse 9, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Do a good job where you work. Be a good worker. Don't be the one causing problems and arguing with your boss all the time. Make sure you are you're, you contribute good, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior and all things. You need to be honest in what you do. You should be honest at your job. You need you don't need to be you know whatever. You, you work and however you cheat, I guess it would be different in different companies, but you don't need to be manipulating things. You don't need to be lying on your timesheet. You don't need to be lying on your production. You should be completely honest in what you do. Your boss, the people you work with, they ought to be able to count on you being honest. Why? Because when you do that, that adorns. Um, that, uh, how did it say it there? It says that it adorns the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Well, well if, if we, you know, the, the, how does the doctrine that we teach about salvation, you know, how does my behavior in these areas that are unrelated to salvation, in fact, no, those things, it's an adorning. It's something that you put on that makes what we teach look good. Because we need people to, if people are going to go to heaven, it's not going to be based on how many of the commandments that we keep that we get them to keep. It's going to be based on them believing the gospel. And if we're people that were out there keeping the commandments of God, they will be more likely to listen. And you know why? Here's another verse that the trendies don't want to talk about. They don't want to bring it up. The IFB has been throwing it in their face for a long time. They continue to ignore it and they have to ignore it because it's just too clear. It goes on in verse 11 saying, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God that brings salvation, it teaches us that we shouldn't do some things. Everybody knows that saved people shouldn't act in a certain way. Everybody knows saved people shouldn't be out blaspheming. Everybody knows saved people shouldn't be cussing out their neighbor. Everybody knows that. They know they shouldn't be cheating on their wives. They shouldn't be fooling around. They shouldn't be dishonest. They shouldn't be stealing. They shouldn't be killing people. Everybody knows that. Why? How do they know that? Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. 
well, wait a minute, I thought we'd have to repent of sins. But no, but we do need to recognize that we are sinful. A person, if they're going to be saved, they've got to recognize that they are sinful, that they are undeserving of heaven, and that they do deserve to die and go to hell for their sins. And so if we as Christians are just going and indulging in all those sins, then what message does that send these people? You know what we're telling people? Because we do. We believe that sin will send somebody to hell. Okay? That that's, that's why people are going to go to hell, because of their sin. And so us as believers, if we're going and indulging in all these sins, you know what we're telling people? That's no big deal. It, it, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, why are you worried about it? But wait, we're teaching people that Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. And then yet we just go out there and we're living however we feel like living. That sends a terrible, terrible message. And you know what? A Christian can sin. A saved person can do some pretty bad things. And But you know what? When we do bad things, we ought to be ashamed of it. We ought to be saddened by it because we understood that Jesus Christ had to pay for that sin. We understand that we're making him look bad. We're understanding that we grieve the Holy Spirit. But when we're acting like it's just all cool, nothing's wrong, that sends a, a messed up message to people that they, that they don't get. And, you know, we're not out there telling people we're holy, we're godly. You know, we don't do this sin. We don't do that sin. Listen, we're sinners, too, and we all mess up. But people ought to be able to see us making an effort. And, folks, I mean, listen. I get it. Some sins are tough to get over. Some sins are really hard. But I mean, really, you can't stop stealing. You know, you can't stop killing people. You know, you can't, you, you can't, you really, are, are the Ten Commandments that hard to keep? I mean, come on. There, you know, there's, there's an expectation that even our world has. Our world doesn't expect you to go around killing people. How legalistic is that? <laughs> but but that, that's an expectation, isn't it? They expect you to be able to, you know, we have houses that are right next to each other. And most of the houses around here, they don't have gates and fences around them. You know why? Because we're not expecting our neighbors to break in the house every night. Okay? We expect a little bit because we put locks on our doors and windows. But for the most part, you know, we don't have that big of an expectation. We, ex- we have a certain expectation. And folks, whether you like it or not, there's an expectation for how saved people ought to act. And people who proclaim uh, to be Christians and have the grace of God in their life. We all know, and everybody else knows, the grace of God, it teaches us to deny those things. That's what it teaches. And so when we just indulge in those things, we're teaching something else. So he goes on in verse 13. says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So those who are saved, we believe that one day we will be like Christ. And so we should be doing our best to reflect that today. That we're, you know, hey, we're not claiming to be just like Christ. We're not claiming to be perfect. We understand we're just sinners saved by grace. But you know what we're doing? We're trying. So that's why we say no to certain things. When we get invited to the party where there's going to be drinking and stuff, that's why we, we turn that down. Oh, you think you're better than me? No, but I, I'm trying to be like Christ. This isn't something that he would do. This isn't something he wants me doing. You know, it's not that we just think we're better than people. We're just trying to be like Christ. That, that's all we're doing. And that, that's okay. And people expect that. People, people expect that type of thing. You know, people even have an expectation for a Republican. Okay? If you're a Republican, most people don't expect you, if you're a lady, to go out and get an abortion. 
know, they're, that's against their platform, right? They have, there, there's certain expectations that everyone has, and there are, there are expectations for Christians. It's normal. And so if we look at verse 14, it says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So we have been redeemed to save people, but now God wants to purify us. He wants us to be zealous of good works. God wants us anxious to do those good things. That's why, that's why we're going to church. Why, why, why are you guys so big on going to church if you don't have to go to heaven? Because we're zealous of good works. That's why we go soul winning. That's why we do the things that we do. We're zealous of good works, and we like it. We're excited about it. We promote it. That's what it means to be zealous of good works. And then he says in verse 15, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And I, you know what? If I could get a message out to the IFB world, it's that we keep doing this. You know what? Keep on preaching about behavior. Keep on talking about standards and convictions. Don't listen to the trendies. Don't get scared of your, you know, a clip getting featured on IB preacher clips where you're going to have a bunch of punks that are going to get on there and they're going to despise you and say all kinds of bad things about you and accuse you of being a legalist. But you know what? We can't stop from doing that, but we can stop. We can't, uh, we can keep them from affecting us. And you know what? If I do anything, I just make it, it motivates me. It motivates me when these people get triggered. And they get angry. You know, they're going to come after me and accuse me of being legalistic for preaching stuff like this. That just makes me want to do more preaching on it. Because this stuff needs to be preached. This stuff needs to be constant. We need to be constantly reminding of these people. And so we're going to keep on preaching on behavior. And you better believe we have the right to rebuke with all authority. That's what it says right here. And let me tell you something about these trendies. They hate authority. They despise it big time they can't they, they can't stand it and understand paul said this stuff because the bible's always relevant there was trendies in paul's day they they were the ones turning the grace of god into lasciviousness that's all there that's all there is to it folks people don't change the look just changed i i i'm sure it wasn't skinny jeans they were wearing back then but there was something there there was something that they were wearing back then maybe it was the roman mini skirts all right <laughs> That's probably what Pastor Trendy was wearing back then. He's like, you know, hey, it's all grace. And so, you know what? I'm going out and, you know, and he's out preaching in a Roman miniskirt, uh, just like, you know, all the rest of them did. Okay? That's what Pastor Trendy would have done back then in that day. There, there, there's no doubt about it. And I think they actually did wear it. You know, it's, it's on all the statues and everything. I think that's pretty legit. So, and you know what? Let me tell you something about Pastor Trendy today. Listen. Every pastor that gets up behind a pulpit in a pink shirt and skinny jeans to preach the word of God, I promise you, if our culture ever goes back to men wearing miniskirts, they'll do it. They'll preach in a miniskirt. Okay, mark it down. I've, I had one of these pastors going after me one time on Facebook. I don't even remember why, but this pastor that's coming after me, all right, who it, it was, I, I remember what it was too. It was because I was defending Pastor Fritz when he had gone after the homos and was on the news and everything. This Baptist pastor that was coming after me for being too hard on the homos, in his profile picture, he was wearing pink shorts. Don't tell me he won't wear a miniskirt when it comes back in style. I promise he will. And I hope they never come back in style, but give it another 10 or 20 years. 
And, and the mini skirts will come back for the men. And you know what? And when it does, I'm going to be out there screaming old paths in my pants. I, you know, and listen, my, my clothing line has not changed in my whole life. And everyone can tell. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, You'll never get me in a miniskirt, and you're not going to get me skinny jeans. If I'm ever wearing skinny jeans, it's going to be because my I got fat and, or my pants shrunk. All right? I'm not buying them that way. It's, it's not, or I just got fat and I bought new pants, but I'm not willing to admit I need a bigger size. Anybody ever done that before? Or I, I know ladies have probably done that before. It's like you know because they're always big, you got to be in the size whatever. You know that means a lot to them, and so they force themselves in it. Don't do that. All right. Sometimes you gotta admit I need the bigger size. You know, you just get over your pride. But anyway, I, I do. I believe one of the things though that was wanting in Crete, uh, you know, was people who were saved that acted like they were saved. That was something that was lacking, something that was wanting. And so God, so Paul told Titus, preach things, speak things that become sound doctrine. And you know, what? praise God if your doctrine is good. But you know what? How about let's work on our behavior? All right? You got your doctrine down. Work on your behavior. Be a good person. Be a good Christian. Be a good example. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much again for this opportunity, Lord, to uh, just proclaim your word. And dear God, I pray you'll help us to uh, take these things to heart. Help us to think about how we act. Help us to think about how we are representing you, Lord. Help us not to have an attitude where we got to have a specific thou shalt not verse. Lord, help us to understand there's expectations that are very reasonable that uh, even our world has, and I pray you'll help us to remember that we are your ambassadors, uh, that we represent you when we're out there, and, and I pray that we'll, we'll think about you and we'll think about others more than we think about ourselves when it comes to what we do. In your name we pray. Amen.